Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to our show. Oh my goodness, we have a real powerhouse as our guest today. But before I introduce her, first, Yoshiko Dart. A special shout out to you, and I just want you to know I met all of your disability rights friends on my trip with the U.S. State Department to Japan. And Yoshiko, I see lead on everywhere. Everywhere in there, I went to their independent living center, um, and they all love you. And everywhere I went in Japan, when I met people, they know you and told me to tell you, hello, you have a great following, and you should have a great following. So, special shout out to you, Yoshiko. And speaking of Japan, to all my friends in Japan, wow, we have 17 countries now listening to this show, but we have a really good listening audience in Ireland and Japan. And it's going to get real big in Japan, real big. But I love all of you. I miss you. Thank you for following the show. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark Blue Cross Blue Shield. Thank you for once again being the lead sponsor of this radio show. Uh, What can I say? Hi, Mark. You are just a great friend, partner, uh, an employer, couldn't do it without you. You stood by me from the beginning. So thank you so much. And AudioEye, another sponsor of the show, who is a company with a fantastic software for web development. Thank you all. And now I feel like we should have like a drum roll or something here. We have my friend who I've known a long time, but the esteemed Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy. What an honor it is to have from the U.S. Department of Labor, Jennifer Sheehy. Welcome to the show. Joyce, thank you so much. I um, I feel humbled and honored to be on your show, and I just love that you invited me to talk about our wonderful office and uh, the work that we're doing now. Absolutely. And listen, everyone, we're going to be talking about the Office of Disability Employment Policy, which Jenner, Jennifer is running. And um, wow, this is the place to go nationally for anything about employing people with disabilities. Uh, I mean, this is really the heart and soul in the federal government of everything related to disability uh, and disability policy. But before we talk about ODIP, Jennifer, as I mentioned, I've known you a very long time, all the way back to when I was involved with the President's Committee. So you have been, throughout all of this time, a great disability advocate from when I first met you. Um, And I thought maybe you could start by telling our listeners about you. Like, how did you first become an advocate? Oh, wow. Um, 
Oh, gosh, that sounds like ancient history now, Joyce. No, don't say that. Don't say that, Jennifer. Then they'll know. Wow. Right. This is only a few years ago, right? (laughs) Exactly. Sorry. Sorry. Um, So I was was actually in business school in 1994 and um, working really, really hard loved the whole um, business experience and I was on a trajectory to go into some kind of food or beverage marketing and in fact I had just started like my dream internship with Anheuser-Busch in marketing in St. Louis and you have to just kind of Think back to, you know, this was in the mid-90s. So in the mid-90s, things are very different back then. And I was extremely happy and um, excited about my opportunity. And also, of course, a big patriot and lover of the U.S. and everything that we could do here. But at that point in my life, I really, really thought the best thing I could do for my country was sell as much American beer as possible. (laughs) So I was so happy to have this job. I was enjoying it. Um, And then I went to a pool party with some of my work colleagues, and I ended up getting pushed backwards in the pool, and unfortunately, you know, just one this this one chance in a million ended up breaking my neck and ultimately going through rehab and getting into the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Washington and started using a wheelchair. And because my life just turned upside down, but I worked so hard to get back to business school and then really try to compete with my colleagues for jobs. I was doing really well. I felt like I had accomplished something big and that employers would see that and see that as a competitive advantage. And not only that I had been able to kind of just manage that disability, manage that experience, but also I personally felt that it taught me things that I might not otherwise have learned as quickly and um, to see them as so important, and that's problem solving and perseverance, goal setting, just everything that someone with a disability uses to manage their day-to-day Experience in a world that isn't always perfectly accessible or friendly to people with disabilities. And that's when I left business school and I was looking at jobs and I had a job offer from the National Organization on Disability, working with Alan Reich, who was a dear mentor to me. And it launched me on this pathway to, to be honest, I really thought that 
changing attitudes was going to take a couple of years, and then I'd go back to Anheuser-Busch. But here I am, you know, more than 20 years later, and I, I still love it. I know we have gone so far working with an amazing community of people and leaders like you, Joyce, and it, we, we still have a ways to go, but it's an exciting job, and it's worth every minute of the hard work we all put into it. Yeah, and you are. You may not be selling that beer, but boy, you're really serving the country. You are really uh, just doing so much. Who knew? Right? That's what I always say about when I had uh, the accident I had, you know, from epilepsy. Who Uh knew what would happen? Um, And you are that example of something I'm talking about uh, in a book I'm writing called The Intermission. And that is, what do you do after a trauma? Um, And look at you. Look what you've done. Uh, And, you know, it's just... Uh, You're changing lives, that's for sure. Uh, Well, okay, the Office of Disability Employment Policy. So, Jennifer, what is the Office of Disability Employment Policy, and what is your role there? I am the Deputy Assistant Secretary for what we affectionately call ODEP. This is a career position, so there's a senior executive service that manages the offices and agencies in the federal government, and we support the political appointees that are appointed by each president to run the office. In my job, I manage day-to-day operations, and I make sure that my assistant secretary sets the vision, and I implement that vision to the best of our ability, it's it's kind of like the chief operations officer in an agency. And I all, for our office, our most important role is assisting the and advising the Secretary of Labor and my sister agencies in the Department of Labor on how labor policy can affect people with disabilities. ODEP is the only non-regulatory federal agency that promotes policies and coordinates with job creators, those businesses that have jobs and hire people, and all levels of government to increase workplace success for people with disabilities. ODEP has cross-disability in focus, so we, we really look at barriers that affect all people with disabilities, every type of disability. We were established in 2001, so very young for a federal agency. Uh, and we have a big scope, but we're a smallish agency with almost 50 national experts in disability policy research and outreach. So we have to be a bit careful of you know, trying to spread ourselves too thin. So we really 
work with the secretary and make sure that our focus and our priorities are the secretary's priorities and that we can show the Department of Labor of how how people with disabilities can be affected, benefited by labor policy as it gets developed here. So you work with the federal government and the private sector. We really do. And we have different roles with each, of course. So we, we look at what is happening. We work with other federal agencies as well to try to improve policies for people with disabilities. Look at what those barriers are in the, all the different programs that intersect to support work for someone with a disability. And then we work with our colleagues to make recommendations to streamline or improve those policies so to support people with disabilities in their career journey. We work with Congress. We'll, we'll provide technical assistance to Congress. We make recommendations um, to other agencies with our colleagues in those agencies. Uh, but most importantly, we work with other offices here in the Department of Labor, like the Federal Contract Office or our Wage and Hour Division, our Veterans Office, the Women's Bureau. There are so many ways that people with disabilities can be affected by policies and programs. So we want to make sure that they are considered, that we're considered in the development of that policy. With employers, we really, we don't try to, we don't regulate, we don't investigate. We seek input from employers and then we try to support them in meeting their workforce needs. Awesome. Well, speaking of companies, we have a caller on the line right now. Uh, is that you, Bob? Yes, it is, Joyce. Oh, Bob James, Robert James from Highmark. Thank you so much for calling in, uh, Bob. Do you have a comment here for our deputy assistant? Absolutely. I couldn't resist uh tuning into the show today, and I just wanted to thank Assistant uh, Deputy Secretary Sheehy for her leadership and for her work on behalf of people with disabilities in employment. Uh, it's something um, I've enjoyed hearing her compelling story, and uh, just I respect the 20 years that she's invested on behalf of people with disabilities, and I share her passion. Wow! Thank you so much, Bob. Great to great to hear your voice. Absolutely, absolutely. I welcome you back from Japan, Joyce, of course. And I also uh, wanted to uh, just say what an honor it is to have uh, Bender Consulting uh, involved in our mentor protege program, where we're working to help people in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania uh, find uh, employment. Uh, those with disabilities. So it's an honor to continue our partnership with Bender Consulting. But uh, but today I really just wanted to 
to commend you, um, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary uh, Jennifer Sheehy, on your work. Uh, it's to be commended. Well, thank you. I hope you'll reach out if you need anything from us. We'd love to walk you through some of our tools, too. That would be wonderful. Yeah. I appreciate and, and Bob, that. Bob, Bob, thank you for calling in, but <clears throat> I do want to make excuse me, a comment here. As I said when I was talking about Highmark being the lead sponsor, it is Highmark that in 1995 stood behind me to start Bender Consulting Services, which is why you will frequently hear me say without Highmark there wouldn't be a Bender. And what is remarkable, and Jennifer, I know that you will agree with me that every CEO... From Bill Lowry to now David Holmberg has stood behind me is remarkable for a CEO, you know, of an organization to be that involved. And Bob, uh, you are one of the leaders there that is uh, really leading the way and partnering uh, and including small business, but making sure we partner to see people with disabilities employed, so I appreciate you calling in also. He is really a wonderful person. He really is. Well, that's great to hear from a company, right, Jennifer? It is. You know, senior leadership, CEO-level leadership, has been found to be the number one driver of disability inclusion in a company. So, we would love to know more about other CEOs out there that have taken this on as a priority. It's, it's so important. We can't understate the, the impact it can make. Oh, I'm going to tell you, any, any company where I have had this impact, this, this uh, support, from the CEO level, has made all the difference. There is no doubt about it. Uh, it started with Bill Lowry, then it was John Browse, then Kim Maloney, um, and, and it has continued through now to David Holmberg. And he has just, uh, Winkenwerder was before him, and he has just been such a great supporter but at Bear, Greg Babe, same thing. Anytime it's the CEO. So Jennifer's right. Uh, and if you're listening to the show, I'll tell you when you are on board, when the top person is on board or someone in the C-suite, it makes such a difference. Uh, Jennifer, for all of our listeners, maybe you could review with us some of the programs at ODEP. Sure, Joyce. Um, I think today I'll tell you about five. Um, okay. I could speak for eight hours, so I, I'll, I'll limit it. No. One of the things you said, this, the book that you're writing is completely in line with our first, and that is our Stay at Work, Return to Work initiative. We've actually been doing some research um, for a number of years in what really is what, what is needed to help someone who acquires or ages into or, or becomes ill and, and acquires a disability, what 
keep them at work or what is needed to help them get back to work as soon as medically possible. We were extremely excited in the President's 2018 budget to see that that research was rewarded with a $68 million grant program that we are working on right now with the Social Security Administration and our sister agency, the Employment and Training Administration. These would be grants to states to replicate some of the strategies in a program that is working in Washington State with their workers' compensation um, population. Our grants would go beyond the workers' workers' compensation uh, population. It could be a non-occupational injury. But as you know from your experience, from my experience, you you never you don't know what's happening. You don't know where to turn. So the point of the model is to deliver coordinated services, coordinated between the employer and the healthcare provider, so the doctor or the um, medical professionals, to make sure everyone's on board with the individual with the disability so that work is a, is a goal. And we, we also know that if someone doesn't get those services early and they then ultimately um, end up not working and when their only recourse is social security disability or, um, or living in poverty or both, then that person's life and their family's lives are changed forever. So we really want to make sure that everyone knows the options and can access coordinated early services so that they have the best chance possible in maintaining their independence and their their jobs. So that's one exciting initiative. We um, we hope those grants will be competed among the states sometime in the next couple of months, and we'll we'll have lots of information when the notice is public, and we'll we'll be doing a lot of outreach about that. So the second initiative I want to talk about is apprenticeship, and this is a um, a big priority for the administration and Secretary Acosta, as you probably have, have heard, and for good reason, because it works. To get ahead today, you and I both know that workers need skills and experience. And you probably know this better than anyone because of your work. The, the president issued an executive order calling for the expansion of apprenticeships, and DOL is partnering with industry groups and companies, nonprofit organizations, unions, joint labor management organizations, and others, so that they can design programs that fit their needs and work for the high-growth industries of today. 
Apprenticeship can fulfill the needs of both an individual and an employer. So we've, we've created some inclusive and accessible apprenticeship tools that we launched. We have policy guides so you can see how um, people with disabilities can be supported in those apprenticeship options. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of where apprenticeship works. One is in the tech sector. So this is, of course, a high-growth industry, and they are really starting to um, adopt the apprenticeship model and make it inclusive of people with disabilities because the demand for those jobs is uh, so high and there is so much competition in the tech industry. So fortunately, they are doing a lot of outreach to diverse populations, and people with disabilities can benefit from that. Let me tell you about one individual, Derek Schwartz. Derek is deaf, and he grew up in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and said he just always liked computers. A few years ago, he kick-started his career with an apprenticeship with the Urban Technology Project in Philadelphia, um, which is a public-private partnership between the city school district, a nonprofit, and, um, is, and then area employers. He worked for one of the city's largest high schools, providing tech support, and now he works for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So you can see that... Um, someone like Derek, without something like an apprenticeship, may not have been able to learn and get paid at the same time to support his career growth and and his disability needs. So this has been, um, that's just one example. Apprenticeships also flourish, of course, in traditional trades and can offer not just a career start, but um, a path back to work after the onset of a disability. So this, of course, can be a return-to-work strategy, too. Uh, One example that I like is Joanne Hager. Joanne was a firefighter for many, many years, but her life took an unexpected turn when she lost her sight because of MS. She lost her job at the same time, too. Um, for a while, she she was finding some work as a caregiver, but she wasn't able to support her family, of course, as um, a caregiver when she wasn't she didn't have full time work, and it it really wasn't it wasn't what she was skilled to do. So one day she saw a flyer about a nonprofit that hires apprenticeships in construction. She started on the track of heavy construction laborer. After completing her apprenticeship, she was hired by a construction and masonry company, and now she is an instructor for the Minnesota Laborers Training Center. Now, and just just imagine, she has broken so many expectations or, or shattered so many expectations of people all around her who didn't think she could do what she is doing now. And this second successful career 
all started with an apprenticeship, and she has said that really is what truly transformed her life. We want to, we want to see more opportunities like this. We want to see more people with disabilities uh, enter those types of career-transforming apprenticeships. So number three is some of the work we do for youth with disabilities transitioning from school to the workforce. Of course, apprenticeship is one that uh, many, many youth can take advantage of, but it's not only for youth. We have been operating for um, a number of years a technical assistance center for youth that assists states and local workforce development systems to understand the needs of youth with disabilities and then use public funds to um, to help each individual in the way that will best serve them in their career dreams. A few of our initiatives in, uh, developed by that center are professional development for some of the service providers, uh, career exploration for youth, internships, mentoring opportunities, those ultra-important soft skills and training in soft skills, even uh, service and volunteerism opportunities that can be inclusive for youth with disabilities. One of the things they developed was something that's been extremely popular and incorporated all across um, federal government programs and and even in uh, service providers, schools, and community um, uh, organizations. And it's called the Guidepost for Success. This is really a uh, it's five, five sets of strategies that will help youth with disabilities, and really all youth, prepare for and launch into their careers. That's the five are school-based preparatory experiences, the career preparation and work-based learning, so um, working while in school, youth development and leadership, empowerment, connecting activities with other networks to support their dreams, and then, of course, family involvement. So the, the fourth initiative I want to talk about is our state work. And just quickly, we, we look at, at what has been tested and proven effective at the federal level, and then states come to us through organizations like the National Conference of State Legislatures or the National Governors Association or Council of State Governments and say, what, what can we do to uh, increase employment for people with disabilities in our state? These are our conditions. These, this is what our industries are like. This is what our demographics are like. This is what our economic um, situation is like. Tell us how do we adopt some of those good policies. So we will actually work directly with states to help them adopt policies that they can uh, try and then um, 
put in place to help their own citizens with disabilities. Finally, the fifth is our campaign for disability employment. And Joyce, I know you do a lot for Disability Employment Awareness Month in October. We set the theme for what we call ending. Um, we're in the process of finalizing that now, and we will we will release it to I hope big fanfare in a, a few weeks because we know employers take that and then start developing their own events and materials around that theme. It's it's a great way to leverage what everyone is doing around the country to highlight the talents that people with disabilities can bring to work. The Campaign for Disability Employment also includes a very successful public service announcement campaign. We've done three successful PSAs. They've been ranked in the top 1% of Nielsen ratings, and they're available on our website for anyone to use in their, um, like a, a company can use them in their intranet or they, a school can use them in trainings for students. They're, they're great. We've, we've got discussion guides that can help you guide an important inclusion conversation when you air them. Um, so I would encourage you, your listeners to check those out. And we are in the process of developing a very exciting uh, fourth PSA to be launched um, in, in several months. So those are the ones I want to highlight today. Wow. That's a lot. And you know what? I really commend you for all that work with youth. That is absolutely awesome. Um, I know Bender Leadership Academy, I've done this for years with high school students with disabilities. And, you know, you have this whole untapped labor pool to begin with, but then you have all these young people with disabilities that, as you said, could be an apprentice or could be an intern um, as a future employee. Uh, and, and Jennifer, where does everyone go? Where do you go to read about ODEP? What is the website? What a great question, Joyce. Thanks for asking. Um, so easy, www.dol.org. G-O-V slash O-D-E-P. One more time. www.dol.gov slash O-D-E-P. And then you can search by topic area, by, um, you can see uh, resources for businesses, for individuals, for uh, agencies, researchers, and hopefully uh, everything you want to find is there, but there is also contact information for us, so you can actually reach a live person. Well, you know what? I would encourage everyone to go uh, because, 
let's see, this started in what, like 2000, 2001? It was something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. The President's Committee became the Office of Disability Employment Policy. And through all those years, you have provided so much information for uh, people with disabilities. So I would encourage everyone to go there because there are a lot of questions you may have that can be answered right at that site. Uh, Thank you so much, Jennifer. And, you know, we have that uh, on the half hour Advocacy Matters update every week with Perry Jude Radisek just to keep everyone informed on what's going on. Uh, It's sort of like a CNN break. And uh, Perry, are you with us? I am, Joyce. Uh, Thank you. And uh, it's been great to hear about the work of the Office of Disability Employment Programs. And and Jennifer, you've been doing great work, uh, and we'll make sure we have a link to Jennifer's programs on our website so your listeners have another way to reach their information. Oh, that is awesome. And Jennifer, uh, Perry is the CEO uh, of the Pennsylvania Disability Rights Network, uh, which I am so honored to be on that board. And Jennifer, I know you know Kurt Decker, who is the national uh, CEO. And uh, Perry is just a wonderful disability rights leader. And she is on every week to give us an update on what's happening. Uh, so, Perry, what's going on? Yeah, so it's great to talk about employment today, and work is so important to people with disabilities, and we want to work, but sometimes the government develops policies that appear to move us forward, but the policy ends up doing more harm than good. And at the federal level, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid told states in January that they could submit waivers to require work or community engagement for beneficiaries of Medicaid as a condition of eligibility for Medicaid. And so far, three states have received approval for their work requirement waivers. And those states are Kentucky, Indiana, and Arkansas. Eight other states have applied and are waiting for approval of those work requirement waivers for Medicaid eligibility. They are Arizona, Kansas, Maine, New Hampshire, Utah, and Wisconsin. Ohio just submitted their application yesterday. That just happened yesterday. Last year, here in Pennsylvania, the legislature passed what would have been our waiver, but the governor vetoed it in Pennsylvania. So up on our website, so everyone can see, we have on our Advocacy Matters page the letter that CMS sent to all the state Medicaid directors, a letter from the advocacy community, that outlines some of the reasons why the added work requirement could have a harmful effect on people with disabilities and not the effect of putting people back to work that CMS thinks it would have. This issue is going to continue. It's not going to go away as states continue to debate 
whether to pass legislation or administratively apply for this work requirement waiver. So it's not going to go away, Joyce, and some of the issues are transportation. Uh, there's always tra- transportation issues in rural Pennsylvania and other parts of the country about how to get people to work. So there are a lot of barriers that we still are facing uh, when it comes to getting people on Medicaid uh, into work settings. So advocacy matters each and every day, and we really thank you and Jennifer for all the outreach you've been doing to businesses and successfully putting people to work with good policy. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Perry. And it's always great to hear from you. Thank you for the update, and we'll look to hear from you next week. Thank you, Joyce. Um, And I want to say that Perry is such a great person, but she does work across the United States uh, in a bipartisan fashion uh, with, let's face it, with disability. How could it not be bipartisan? Uh, I am very honored that Tony Coelho is the chair of the Vendor Advisory Board. But at the same time, Dora Bush is on my Bender Advisory Board. Uh, and you know, it takes all of us working together to see change occur. Wouldn't you agree with that, Jennifer? It is the only thing that will help Jay Jagar is that it's got to be a big team effort. You're right. And it has been. For example, at the uh, AAPD event this year, the person that was honored is Governor Dick Thornburg. And Dick Thornburg was, of course, the governor of Pennsylvania, but he also was the attorney general when the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed. Uh, He was the enforcer because he has a child living with... uh, a disability, but he is absolutely so dedicated to, you know, furthering the employment of people with disabilities. And as I said, the only way this works is if we work together. Uh, And speaking of Doro Bush, I know that your Secretary of Labor is also a big advocate for the employment of people with disabilities. And I know that Doro knows him because he served uh, in, in Bush's administration. And I think you, you um, boy, are you a great employee, Jennifer, because you're always telling me uh, how wonderful the Secretary of Labor is and how committed he is. But I wanted you to give a chance. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? I would love to talk about it. That thank you so much for for asking. Our secretary, Secretary Alexander Acosta, was the assistant attorney general for civil rights under President Bush, and in his role, the ADA was a critical piece of legal infrastructure guiding his work. So he. Through his disability rights section, he really helped enforce the ADA regulations regarding public accommodations and state and local government services, working to ensure that Americans with disabilities have, as they should, of course, equal access to both. He was also very strong 
on outreach and working with disability organizations um, because, as you said, teamwork can help in enforcement too, and it's it's often um, some a way that you can leverage change beyond just the one one entity that your um, that that may be the subject of the enforcement. Our secretary has been very interested in ODEP's work and how it contributes to larger department and um, administration goals. He has a really invaluable perspective as he works to ensure all Americans have access to good family-sustaining jobs. And he clearly understands that all Americans include Americans with disabilities. He's really committed to increasing employment opportunities for Americans with disabilities and committing, committed to increasing workforce participation. And that's, that's one reason that there's such a strong focus on trying to get those early intervention services to people who are at risk of losing their jobs if they become ill or injured at work. We we're also lucky because we have a new newish senior advisor in ODEP, and that's Patrick Mannix. He has a very strong interest and a valuable perspective. He's from Rhode Island, and as you recall, um, probably Joyce, after there was a Department of Labor, I mean, uh, sorry, a Department of Justice settlement in Rhode Island that. Um, that basically uh, said that people with disabilities have to have a choice of living with and working in the community with if they are being served with public funding. Patrick was one of those individuals that actually helped move people out of those um, of those segregated settings into community jobs, and now he is with. Us. So that's been a, a a great a great colleague and a, a great supporter of our work as well. Wow. Well, even though I don't know him, I already know I like him because talk about a great uh, civil rights initiative. I call that giving people a choice of do I want to be in prison or do I want the chance to live. Anywhere. I mean, it's all about freedom. People with disabilities deserve freedom uh, like everyone else. And I must say that what happened uh, in Rhode Island is phenomenal. So that is a real asset, Jennifer, uh, for you to have him there, you know, with you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Great. I look forward to meeting him. And Jennifer, I asked you this uh, before, but you were saying you do work closely with the private sector. Is that correct? Yes, we, we definitely do. Let, let me tell you a little bit about how we work with the private sector um, because I think it's important, especially for any um, businesses that may be listening and, of course, people who are working in businesses who are listening, you can take that back to uh, your colleagues there, too. We have a very strong relationship with the private sector through very 
through a few different channels. Job creators are critical to our work. They provide the job opportunities, so um, we must consider their needs in tandem with that of individuals. And we, we work to help them understand effective practices that can help them meet their workforce needs and how to turn those practices into company-wide policies so that they can be, uh, they can be implemented consistently across a company, especially some of those uh, very, very large companies. We want to establish an expectation of work and then empower people to meet that expectation. If workplaces are not welcoming and inclusive, then all the efforts we have with preparing people with disabilities for the good jobs will, will be futile. One of the ways we work with employers and really try to broaden our outreach is through our alliance program. These are partnerships with national organizations. We share resources. We work together to identify their members' needs so that we can then develop materials to meet those needs. They might be trade and professional associations, businesses, labor unions, educational institutions, and others. Um, some of our current alliance partners include the U.S. Business Leadership Network that I know you um, are very familiar with and have, and have been a part of, the Society, for Hu- the Society for Human Resource Management, um, the National Industry Liaison Group, it's a group of federal contractors, the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society. Believe it or not, we've had a lot of great uh, luck and fun working with them to highlight people with disabilities working in the baseball industry. And then we also um, have an alliance with the Association of University Centers on Disabilities. One, one of, uh, a couple of our very popular resources for employers, one is the Job Accommodation Network, and this is the leading source of free and confidential assistance for uh, businesses and job creators on accommodations for people with disabilities, um, the ADA, and other disability non-discrimination laws. These, these confidential consultants deal with an individual or a hiring manager, and they can tell someone how to uh, how how to work with a disability in any job with different types of accommodations that might be effective. They have been around for a long, long time, and um, Joyce, you know, they started in the president's committee, but we have been lucky enough to be able to keep them running, and they now have done more than 200,000 interactions and calls and, and uh, provided that many people with technical assistance on accommodations. The other is our Employer Assistance Resource Network on Disability Inclusion, 
which we call EARN. We, you know, in the federal government, we have to have our acronyms for everything. Um, but EARN takes a broader view. They, they provide resources to help employers ensure that their policies and practices uh, help foster a disability-inclusive culture overall. So both Jan and EARN support employers in different ways. Uh, and they do also both offer a lot of trainings. There are many, many of those trainings are archived or online with webinars or uh, tools that can be adapted for any business industry uh, or um, company, whether large, small, or mid-sized. Wow. Wow, you do a lot there, Jennifer, but I got to tell you something. How is it possible this show is almost over? How is that possible? And I see that we received a ton of comments uh, about this show, all good. So, Jennifer, I have a special request, and that is could we have you back on in October for National Disability Employment Awareness Month? I would love to join you again in October. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, that way we can start, folks, and we will, advertising this a couple of months, because I'm sorry I could not take calls. I mean, I let Highmark on, I know, but the reason I couldn't take a lot of calls is because, look, I'm not done asking Jennifer questions, and we're done. Um, So, good news, I'm going to have her on in October, and maybe we can do is that time you'll be able to send me questions and I can send them ahead of time uh, so that we can at least take a couple of them. Uh, But we have so much to talk about, as you can see. Jennifer, it has just been so wonderful to have you. It's really been a pleasure, Joyce. It's always fun to talk to you, and I hope this is helpful. I, I know people really need uh, assistance sometimes, and please, I hope they reach out to us to help. Yes, and you know what? If you if you know someone uh, they and you want them to hear the show, it is archived and it's on demand, and we have a huge following on demand uh, of all the shows. So with that, end every show with a quote, and here it is today. Uh, first, Again, my condolences to the Bush family with the loss of Barbara. So here we go. Here's our quote. Let the shameful wall of exclusion finally come tumbling down, said President George H.W. Bush. Hey, talk to you all next week. And our guest next week is, guess what? This is unbelievably ironic. It's Kathy Martinez, who also was in this position before. Uh, So, see you, talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.